Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're here to discuss the Baltimore Orioles taking Colton Calger with a number five pick in the 2021 MLB draft. And here to help us do that is Dr. Stephen Loftus, the resident draft expert over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, who's been putting in a lot of excellent work leading up to the draft and certainly over at the site tonight with his live blog. So we'll get to that in a moment, but first... On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Orioles have selected outfielder Colton Cowser out of Sam Houston State with the fifth overall pick in this year's draft. While a lot of mock drafts had a lot of things wrong about uh, the first round of this year's draft, a lot of them did expect the Orioles to take Kowser at number five in a move that would allow the Orioles to potentially sign Kowser for an underslot value and then spread that money around uh, later in the draft, particularly with their next three picks, which will take place tomorrow uh, for day two of the MLB draft. Uh, so Kowser, not a surprise, but the Orioles are going a bit under slot there to get a player who was at a mid-major, lower-profile school in Sam Houston, but still had good collegiate numbers there. And I'm going to bring in Steven to start us off here because over at his live blog, Steven said he had a lot of thoughts and that he was going to save them for the show. So, Steven, thank you for doing that. And I'm going to give you a chance to just jump right in now and give us your thoughts. Okay. So there are a lot of people who aren't thrilled about this, and it's easy to understand after last year with how Heston Kerstad has begun to work out. And, you know, you can't blame any of that there. There are people who aren't going to be, you know, the most thrilled about going under slot for a mid-major guy. But Colton Kowser is not your standard mid-major guy. There are a lot of intelligent people, a lot of people who have studied the game, who know the game, who really, really like Kowser. Um, Eric Longenhagen at uh, Fangraphs had him. He was the only guy that was, I think, higher on Kowser than I um, personally had him. I had him eighth overall in my rankings. Um, Longenhagen had him seventh overall, a 50 future value prospect, which puts him, let's see, where they had the latest updates on there. Um, Kowser would right now in Long and Hagen's top hundred prospects in baseball be ranked number 85 and to get that sort of uh, player and save, probably we're going to look at a savings of one to one and a half million dollars on Kowser. That brings a lot of flexibility at number 41. We're not getting the number 15 guy or something like that. We're getting a guy who's a top 10 
uh, talent in a very deep draft in a draft where there isn't a generational talent and where I don't think there's this huge drop off until, well, honestly, after number nine at Jackson Job, that's where I think the tiers start really breaking down. So we're getting a tier one guy in this draft for less money. And so that's a value that I think we can get behind. But of course, I say this everything's in context. I can't really evaluate this. I mean, I'm happy with this just as it stands. Might've been a little more happy with Khalil Watson, I'll admit, who is still on the board last I checked here. Um, I might've been happier there, but still, depending on what we get at 41, this could be great. This could be a really good route for the Orioles to go. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Once I saw, it's been a crazy draft, to be honest with you, when uh, Henry Davis was shocking right off the bat, going number one, look, underslot immediately. Seems like a lot of teams are having an underslot you know, strategy this year. It makes sense because it's a deep draft, not exactly super top-heavy. Uh, Jack Leiter goes two, Jackson Job goes three, who we heard were the Orioles were like kind of secretly interested in. And then I was kind of getting excited that Marcelo Mayer was going to be there for us at five because I think I saw Kevin Goldstein say that the Red Sox were thinking about going with, I don't know, somebody else there, maybe Harry, Harry Ford. But uh, And then once they took Mayer, I was ready for the Watson pick. I was stoked, getting ready to celebrate and buy his jersey. But Colton Kowser is there. I like the pick a lot. Like Steven said, when we brought him on a couple weeks ago, this guy is right up there with those guys. At college, he should move quickly. He has a great hit tool. He's developing some power. And... I just I don't see anything not to like. I mean, we're going to save this money and we're going to get projectable talent in our next couple picks here. So we will probably get a high school outfielder or a shortstop in the next pick or two and maybe set us up to continue to raise that floor of the system and the ceiling, too. Yeah, I, for me personally, like I, I just love this pick, to be totally honest, right now off the bat, um, just because it, you, you look at those are a lot smarter than I am and what they have to say. Like Stephen mentioned at the top there, you read Eric Loggenhagen's report on him over at Fangraphs, who he does have him as a top 10 pick there. Best bat-to-ball skills in the draft. Tracks pitches with laser-guided precision, is able to make mid-flight adjustments to breaking balls, adept at hitting pitches on the outer thirds the opposite field. And this is a guy we mentioned before, the numbers on uh, Kowser that you throw him high heat, 97-plus uh, mile-an-hour fastballs. He's the best hitter in the country on those types of pitches. Uh, so it's, of course, it's going to take three, four years for us to decide, you know, is Colton Cowser going to develop into a good pick? We don't know. It's the MLB draft. A lot of variables take place. And like Stephen mentioned as well, to really sit here and assess, was this a good pick or not? I mean, you got to look at this draft as a whole. I mean, you said, you know, look at last year's draft, the Orioles were able to get a Carter Baumler, who I think had first round draft grades for some teams. And Kobe Mayo, who's hitting the ball 100-something miles an hour off the bat in his first GCL game or FCL game down there. I mean, this is this is what the draft is. The MLB draft is a different beast that I'm not going to pretend I know an extreme amount about. Uh, that's why we have Steven here on the show. But, you know, reading reading what I have read about Kowser, um, I saw his name get a lot of helium early on in the season. So I did watch, uh, like, two of his games uh, early non-conference games, just to get an idea of who this guy was. I liked what I saw. He uh, looked like a, a patient hitter up there at the plate. You look at his college numbers, and uh, I think this is a question I think a lot of Orioles fans might have, and Steven would be able to answer this a lot better, is the competition he faced, right? We know it's Sam Houston State. Was this the Southland Conference, I believe, or the WAC? I can't remember which one there is. Southland Conference. Yeah, um, Southland. 
Yeah. So yes, he's not facing the greatest competition you know, during conference play, but you look at the numbers. He had more walks and strikeouts, 354 career hitter, 460 on base percentage. I, I think it doesn't matter what conference you're in. Those numbers are really solid. He's a team USA guy as well. So he has experience with the wooden bat. Um, you know, we'll see how this plays out day two and even into day three of the draft, obviously. But for right now, I, I enjoy the pick. Like, welcome to Baltimore. I don't think there's any reason to hate this pick right now. Absolutely. So we do want to get to a listener question that just popped up here, and I sense that this is going to be a hot topic of discussion over the next few days. This is from uh, Nick underscore Stengel, who asks, please explain to people why the Orioles aren't, quote, cheap for taking Calder before I lose it. So anyone who wants to jump in here uh, can take that question first. Well, they're not cheap because they're going to spend their entire draft pool. I mean, they're not going to save money and put it in their pocket. They're going to save a few million here and use it later on to hopefully get two guys that are first-round talents. And I had someone tweet at me that, why would they take this massive project from a small school? And that's just not the case. That is not Colton Kowser. He is, like Nick said, the best hit tool, at least a lot of people think, in the whole entire class. So you're still getting a top-10 talent, and we'll probably be able to score another first-round talent in our next couple picks. So you're not, you know, what did he say, being cheap at all. You are spending the same amount. It's just the way you allocate it. That's the only difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, underslotting is such a difficult thing to really assess. And I want I, I did a little bit of looking at this uh, last week, and I want to do a more holistic assessment of underslotting as a whole, maybe – I don't know, maybe October when I, you know, regain my brain power and all that sort of thing after all this draft stuff. But um, generally speaking, with undersliding, yes, you take a little bit of hit in like average expected value of combining at least the first two picks from what I saw at like five and 41. But what you raise is you raise your floor a little bit and you raise the chances that both guys hit, which is to a certain extent, a good thing, especially in a system where, well, with baseball prospects, there's so much flame out. There's so few guys that actually make the majors. In many cases, having multiple shots at a guy who can make the majors and actually contribute is a good thing. So it's a certain, to a certain extent, how you want to allocate that, you know, and the difference between the, how should we say, between the average expectation of, you know, best player available versus under slot to a certain extent, you know, there's a diminishing return in there. Isn't that big of a difference, really? And in some cases, in my case, I don't mind the floor choice in this case. Yeah, I wanted to read up on some outside perspectives on Calder going into this show. And so I'm going to pull a few over the course of the show, not all of them right now. But Eric Longenhagen said last week um, in his mock draft, in talking about Kowser to the Orioles, which he had at number five. Kowser feels like the pick here as some models, and the Orioles lean heavily on models, have him behind only Henry Davis in terms of offensive potential among the college bats. So that tells you something that when you're looking at college hitters, Kowser was regarded as one of the best in this draft. Even with you know the grain of salt that this was not necessarily the best draft for college hitters, there's real talent here, and it's seen outside of Baltimore. So it's not just one model um, that the Orioles are looking at to make this pick. This is not Matt Hobgood. <laughs> maybe maybe the Royals did a Matt Hobgood taking Frank Mazzucato, but I know he was a fast riser with helium towards the end of the season here. So it's not as crazy as it sounds. And this is a deep, deep draft there because of what happened last year. There's only five rounds. Extra eligibility means more talented players that would typically go in the top five or 10 rounds. 
stayed in for this draft. So a lot of teams want to save that money, spread it around a little bit. So it's not just the Orioles yeah. folks. Yeah. And, and I think John Mueller had a good tweet here too, that uh, you know, Mike Elias has been giving some quotes and he said, he, we got our guy, right? Of course you, of course he's going to say that, you know, but it's good to hear him say that right here. This is a guy that the Orioles wanted. And like you mentioned, he seemed like a good model fit there. Um, and also John Mioli noted that the scout, the Orioles area scout or Kowsers from Tom Dreyer was a scout behind the Grace Rodriguez pick in 2018. So there we go. Uh, but yeah, I just think talking about how deep the draft is, and I think we talked about this a little bit off air after our last episode, after our last draft preview episode. Uh, but I really like a lot of the college pitching in this draft. So, and I think I don't think this plays into like the overslotting game. But you know, if you're worried about why didn't the Orioles draft Kamar Rocker, which I'm going to go on record and say I'm glad they didn't. I love watching that guy pitch. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a Kamar Rocker hater at all. Uh, but I just felt like this. Kamar Rocker to me just felt like a guy who could you, you throw in the bullpen next year and this is your your guy, a relief arm maybe in the future. Maybe he's the future uh, number two behind Jacob McGraw for the Mets. I hope he is. I wish nothing but the best for him. But I'm glad the Orioles didn't go Rocker because there's so many upper-class college pitchers available in this draft in later rounds. And, and Steven mentioned on our last draft preview episode that you know when you look at the Orioles player development system, being able to take a, a college pitcher that has, you know, a, a good fastball with, you know, maybe a really good changeup, a really good slide already, being able to develop him into a more useful piece in two, three years. I like the Orioles' odds of being able to do that based on what we've seen the Orioles do with pitchers already in this system as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. And Bob had a good tweet earlier as well that, you know, for everyone that's thinking the Orioles are going to go out and say compete in 2023, if 2023 or 2024 is your goal, you've got one of the best college hitters in the draft right here joining the Orioles. So there we go. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, I like rocker and I think the Mets will do well with him, but he's not this, I could see it building up the last few days that everyone is expecting. We're going to get rocker rockers. The guy, he's a little more risky than you would have thought a year ago today. I mean, he, his velocity, as Nick is saying in our uh, chat here, he would throw 95, 97, one start and then 90, 93 is next. I mean, there's no guarantee that he can hone that in every start out there. So I think he's a good pitcher and he will be good and he's not that risky, but he's not the slam dunk ace that a lot of people think that he was either. And Nick, Bob, I wanted to roll back the clock a little bit because when we did our college baseball preview back in February, the three of us agreed that we didn't think that Rocker was going to fall um, to number five. And certainly his season and the way really the whole 2021 season developed changed that script. I think it was apparent really two months ago that Rocker was not going to be the number one pick in the draft and could be at the Orioles at number five. If you had said to me in February, Rocker's going to be there at number five, I would have said absolutely take him. If you had said to me two months ago, Rocker's going to be at number five, I'd say thanks, but no thanks. The velocity you know, inconsistencies were just a big concern with me. And I think that if he were a pitcher that were in the system now, and people were seeing him do that at Aberdeen, they would be alarmed. Yeah. Look at Michael Bauman right now, double-A Bowie. He's had yeah, some inconsistent I, velocity, you know, so people would be saying, is he hurt? Oh, no, he's back. Good, he's getting – oh, no, he's <laughs> – what's going on? So, yeah, you're right about that, Zach. Yeah, I, I am concerned about – you know, that, that would definitely concern me, but I am not concerned, but curious – better word there – um, of what's going on with Khalil Watson though right now? Like why is why is he falling so much? And looking right now, it's yeah. we're still 
I'm going yeah. on the tracker. We still got the Giants. We're a little bit. Yeah, Nick says this, and we all look in a different direction on our monitors. <laughs> Giants are gone. Giants took uh, Giants took Will Bednar, College World Series MVP. So that's out. Um, I have a thought on that one, uh, just because one thing that there was a question that so I was uh, fortunate to be on ESPN's uh, MLB draft media Zoom call with uh, Kylie McDaniel a couple days ago, and he had some really interesting thoughts, particularly at um, for the Reds. And the Reds have a couple of picks. The Reds have their uh, let's see, their seventeen coming up here. They have number thirty comp for uh, Trevor Bauer and uh, thirty-five, and so those three picks all together total let's see about seven point six, seven point seven million. So uh, that if Watson's falling and, you know, if he got to around, say, 10 and the Reds gave him a call and are willing to give him, say, like number six money, which number six money is this year, uh, about just a little shy of six, a little shy of six million. If they're willing to give him that and then, you know, get creative with, like, say, Matt Mikulski out of Fordham, you know, older uh, senior pitcher to, you know, get a little creative on the uh, bonuses there and still, you know, get a decent player. Uh, that could be where he winds up going. But um, let's see. Sal Frelick just went to Milwaukee. So we have two picks to find out there on Watson. Um, but I could see, absolutely see him falling to the Reds at 17 and still get the money that you would kind of expected him to get going in. I hope he goes to the Reds because the Yankees are at 20 and that would be devastating to me uh, or the Dodgers. They'll just use all their entire pool just for him, for the one player. But uh, someone's going to get a steal there. That's the most surprising thing to me is just the high school shortstops who a lot of people thought might go four out of the top five picks. There's still one left and it's up to pick 16. So yeah. And Brady, and Brady house falling to 10. I, I wouldn't have expected that. I mean, I mean, no one would have expected that the first three picks, not a single one of those high school shortstops went. Um, that's uh, it's unfortunate that Boston may, winds out getting uh, mayor. I mean, as much as I like Watson, I would take mayor over him. As, even if Watson has, you know, maybe a higher floor. I mean, mayor just has so much polish. So just looks so good on the field. And as I said, that, that one stings, that one stings a bit. Yeah, I was on a chat with Nick and Bob, just kind of a chat we have among ourselves. And when it got to the Rockies in the first round, I said, this is perfect. House is going to get drafted by the Rockies. He'll be fun to watch at Coors Field for four or five years. And oh, the boy. Orioles will trade for him at pennies on the dollar. And then the Rockies <laughs> passed on him. So I didn't yeah. necessarily get what I wanted there. Yeah, we would trade like, uh, let's see, Keegan Aiken, decent reliever for the past couple of years to, <laughs> for him. <laughs> In the ever uh, in the Rockies ever uh, present search for pitching, uh, I agree with Nick Stengel again here from Twitter. He said, "Glad we went under slot on Kowser instead of Freilich, who just went to Brewers at 15." I actually think that's a good pick for them right there. That's pretty much where I would expect him to go. But I agree. I think we've talked about it in the past, but I much prefer Kowser to Freilich where we what we did with the under slot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Kowser. Guess- oh, go ahead, Nick. I was going to ask the, that question about the competition, though. I don't know if we talked about that earlier or not. But the, playing in the conference that he did, is is that a concern? I know for peop, a lot of Orioles fans I've seen on social media already saying, like, he didn't play against anybody in college. So, like, you look at those numbers, of course, you take them with a grain of salt. But how much of a factor goes into this draft process when you're looking at, you know, the competition that he played in college? I mean, it's going to absolutely come up in some some. T- some teams definitely factor in uh, 
conference strength. I mean, in my model, I have strength of schedule in there a little bit. But I mean, one of the main things I make sure to do is I adjust all of their results because um, the stats that go into my model are ISO, strikeout percentage, walk percentage. Those th three things all get adjusted for competition. And after I do that, after I go about adjusting all of those things, Kowser comes out the second best hitter behind Henry Davis um, in terms of just pure performance, even after um, adjusting for that. And again, the fact that he has hit so well against velocity, because that's going to be the thing that he doesn't see in those smaller conferences. Uh, the big velos, you might see um, a guy who's got a decent breaking ball. Yeah, maybe it would be nice to know how he did against some of the uh, breaking stuff. But I mean, the fact that he hits against elite velocity very, very well kind of a lays any sort of, well, it was small conference sort of thing. Um, and for that matter, again, you mentioned he was a Team USA guy and had a very good Team USA season um, after his uh, after his freshman year. Let's see. At one point they had up there uh, how he hit in his uh, team, in his wood bat experience. But it was, uh, I think it was in the uh, like 310, something like that. It was pretty decent. And had he had a Cape Cod season last year, we wouldn't have been able to get him under slot at five. We would have had to pay full price, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, doesn't matter the competition you're facing. If you can hit 97 plus miles an hour, I mean, it's still coming in that fast. It proves it. And what we can't see that the Orioles have detailed information on, I'm sure, is the exit velocities that he's putting up and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I think it's it's all good. I say um, Khalil Watson update. Apparently, uh, Eric Longenhagen is saying that the fall is going to stop at Miami. Oh, so, interesting. I mean, I don't think they have a ton of uh, ton of bonus money. I mean, kind of middling nine, just a little shy of ten million. But it's going to either they're going to uh, get real creative in uh, in on day two there, or Watson's going to NC State. We'll see him in twenty twenty four. That would be a fun infield, though, with uh, Jazz Chisholm and him in four or five years. Oh, yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. And uh, Stephen may see this pick before I do, because I know he had the Sal Frelick pick uh, before I did. So we'll check in here on the second and see if that comes uh, to fruition or not. Watson to Miami, which would be an interesting pick and not one many people saw coming uh, in their mock drafts. Um, and, you know, a topic for later in the show, I think, is what those mock drafts looked like compared to the actual draft. But going back to Kowser for a minute, I, one of the things that has come up is, can he stick in center field? And if he does have to move to a corner, does he have the power uh, to play at the corner? And I wanted to pull up something interesting, which is from Jake Kaplan over at The Athletic, who gets into Kowser's uh, profile defensively a little bit. And he wrote this article today. And he said it's much more common for a player to move off center field to a corner outfield spot as he ages, as opposed to the reverse path Calger took. But he was blocked in center field as a college freshman with Sam Houston, even playing him at third base in addition to left field and right field to keep his bat in the lineup. He became a full-time center fielder as a sophomore, which was, all the was, was, <clears throat> which was the season all wiped out by the pandemic. It might seem strange that he didn't play center field in high school, but there's a reason for that, too. When it goes on to mention that there were a lot of good prospects at uh, his high school, Cypress Ranch High School. So, Calger, we don't have much of a sample size in center field. But based off the video I've seen, I kind of like what I see there. And I'm going to put this out to Steven first. Do you think he can stick in center field? Um, and maybe some of the concerns have to do with the small sample size? Or do you think he really does move to a corner? I tend to think he can stick in center field. So 
he he posts 60 run times. Like that's a solid enough run time that you can play in center field, no question. You know, depending on how he matures, how he uh how he ages. I mean, let's see, going into the draft, he's 21.3. So there's still possibly a little room for growth. I mean, let's see, 6'3, 195. That's a little on the skinny side. So he could add some muscle and hopefully add some power and then move to the corner because he's got a solid enough arm to play in the corner. But the worry that scouts seem to kind of have on him is that he doesn't uh, pick the ball up off the bat. His reads and center um, off the bat aren't as good as you would like to see ideally. And that could be, again, a small sample size in center field sort of thing. Again, this is the sort of thing that you have player development staffs for that you have also, honestly, better shifting, better positioning of players to begin with. I think absolutely if you know, if your reads aren't the best in center field, you know, maybe he's not Cedric Mullins in center field, say, but you don't necessarily have to be to play a competent center field with a bat that can stick at that point. Um, and again, I tend to think that with the positioning that exists, he should be able to land in center field and be fine. Oh, and uh, Khalil Watson did just go to the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, all he needs to be able to do is play center field in a pinch once a week, once every two weeks, because Cedric Mullins will be out there for the next 10 years or so, you know, well, just play. The- <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't I haven't seen him out there to really judge personally, but hopefully he can. But worst case, I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like the bat should be strong enough to at least be a left fielder you know worst case scenario so yeah absolutely absolutely especially again if he winds out bulking up a little bit 6'3 185 is a little on the skinny side for a baseball player especially for a left fielder if he bulks up a little bit more and adds like you know let's see grades on his power like the 45 50 range if that turns to a 50 55 you know if you want to say 52 and a half to split the difference that absolutely with a 60 55 60 hit tool which is you know I have him in the round like 57 and a half range that can play in left field, especially if he puts up solid enough defense, has a good arm and steals a ha- steals um, double digit bases every year. That'll play. That'll absolutely play for a first round pick. I like that Elias is going uh, left-handed hitters here at Camden Yards as well. I, I like that. Um, but I think this is an interesting question and something that I think we kind of touched on with Matt Blood last week when you had him on the show from O's Ravens 82 uh, question there. Where do you think Kowser starts off, Delmarva or Aberdeen? I don't think it's going to be Aberdeen, that being high A now. Uh, but it is going to be interesting to see. I think with the college bats, we probably do get to see him, in, at least in Delmarva, in a couple of weeks. Because I, I was thinking about that leading up to the draft. With a pitcher, if they went pitcher, you know, even if it was like a Kamar Rocker, would we have seen Kamar Rocker at, between now and the end of the year? Probably yeah. not. Uh, yeah, by the time you sign these guys, by the time you guys bring these guys back into Baltimore – uh, it's called the Michael last phone call there. Apparently, Kowser is just in Baltimore. He said, hey, you might want to turn back around and come back uh, because we picked you. Uh, but, you know, by the time they work out a deal, bring him in for, you know, physical assessments, orientations, I mean, the minor league season is actually half over now. So you've only got about eight weeks uh, at most, maybe seven weeks by the time these guys are in the system. So, but at least with a college bat like Kowser, I, I bet we probably see him in Del Marvin, get him for, you know, two or three weeks of play maybe. And he's yeah, had six I, weeks okay. off. At the, he's had six weeks yeah. off at this point. Sam Houston State was not in the NCAA tournament, I don't believe. So, yeah, I'm. I would agree with that. I think. I think I've heard that uh, low A, especially, is kind of a little bit lesser than it typically is, just the way that things reshuffled this year. So, I think he could easily play there after he signs. Maybe he just does the Adley Rushman thing, where he gets a couple games in in FCL just to get his feet wet while he's already in Sarasota doing physicals and stuff, and then he plays the rest of the season at Delmarva, 
maybe starts next season in Aberdeen with hopefully a midseason promotion to Bowie and then starts in AAA in 2023. And by the end of the season, he's in Baltimore. Yeah, I think that would kind of be a likely path for him. I think if this, if the Orioles had drafted a pitcher or even a hitter that played deep into the College World Series, you, the likelihood of that player not playing this year would be higher. But as Steven said, Calder, you know, has had about six weeks off now. I think it would be perfectly reasonable once he signs, which hopefully will be pretty soon, to gear him up in the FCL for a little bit, give him some time at Del Marva, um, even if it's only for about two weeks and then have him start next year off at Aberdeen. So that I think that would be a good path for him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Incidentally, Kowser's last game was May 29th. Good final game. Two for four, home run, single, and two walks. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> yeah, very good way to end your college career. So O's Fan Therapy has a question that We've touched on a little bit here, but I think we're not going to have a better feel for until the end of the night, which is who do the Orioles sec- target in the second or third round was likely having some extra money saved from Kowser. Ooh, that's a tough one. Cause I mean, at this point you can guarantee that they're trying to, that they're talking to people. They're just saying, okay, what's, what's your current best price? What's your current uh, best number that you're getting? And at that point, they're just trying to float them down, float them down and hoping that no one ruins that plan. Cause from it's generally thought that the Orioles had a guy in mind last year and were trying to float him down to their second pick and it didn't exactly work out. So they spread it to Mayo and, uh, and Baumler and, you know, they work well enough, but uh, given who the reports were that they were trying to get, I think I would prefer that guy, let's say, um, but they're, they're absolutely going to keep on trying to do that. I have a few guys in mind. Cause I mean, at this point, you know, they're looking again, high schoolers, uh, high schoolers and maybe a draft eligible sophomore. Maybe um, I was thinking Bedner might be a guy who maybe you could try to float down there, but you know, all the questions about if they would take a college pitcher. Um, let's see. Uh, Harry Ford's gone. A couple of guys that could be interesting. Uh, Bubba Chandler, you know, Clemson commit. Uh, Clemson, not only a baseball, but football commit. Uh, two-way player, shortstop, uh, shortstop pitcher. He already, he could be an interesting guy because he's going to take money to sign. Also, he he already has average to above average stuff. He's got good command, good control, and he doesn't concentrate on this full time. Baseball America's report says he doesn't even, he's throwing 97. He doesn't even use his legs fully in his uh, wind up and pitch. So it's like, what could that wind up being? So he'd be a guy that they'd probably try to float. Um, I had him around like number 20 in uh, my rankings. Uh, Will Taylor, another Clemson football and baseball commit uh, could be interesting. And then let's see, anyone, if you want to go middle infielder route, uh, Carson Williams is another guy who kind of gets talked about as a, you know, upper teens, low twenties guy, uh, added 10 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle this past spring, saw a jump in power, plays a solid shortstop. He's, he would seem like a type of guy that, uh, the Orioles could target at that point if they want to go on that middle infield route. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it, um, a couple weeks ago that, uh, Eric Garfield is that is that I think that's his last name. Finally got it from watching, uh, listening to him on Locked On Orioles. But uh, on the prospects live mock draft, he took Colton Kowser with his first pick, and then he got James Wood uh, in uh, with forty one. Do you think that could be a possible pick? That that's definitely a possibility. I don't have uh, Wood as high in my model just because. I mean, he's a big guy, and there's a decent chance that he winds out in the corner where he absolutely has to hit. But I mean. Oh boy, some of those power, some of those power grades he has, but 
he is such a big guy that depending on how the athleticism ages and there's some worries there, he could wind up being a first base only guy, which that's kind of a bit of a risk. My, I tend to stay away from, you know, high first base risk guys and prefer to see them uh, perform in college before taking them in all honesty. But he, he would definitely be a guy that I think should be in the discussion and should be in the running there. But there are a few guys that I think I would prefer at that point. I want to go back to Bubba, uh, Bubba Chandler for a minute. If the Orioles were to draft him, they're able to get him away from Clemson with a high enough bonus offer. Do you think they look at him as a hitter or a pitcher? Hmm, that's an interesting one because, you know, other teams definitely have tried to develop players as two-way players. I mean, the Rays have worked that with Brendan McKay. Um, I know we thought he was better as a hitter, but then as soon as uh, they got him there, you know, this is after I left, uh, they viewed him better as a pitcher at that point. So there are teams that absolutely do try to develop players both ways. And I don't know what Elias's um, thoughts are on whether they'd want to necessarily do that. I tend to lean, I think towards a pitcher just because for me personally, again, you know, the prospect of 97, he's not even using his legs correctly and doesn't repeat his delivery as well as he should. And already has a good feel to spinning his breaking pitches. Like just that amount of raw potential that's unrefined, that that could be that could be real interesting because like that's that type of rawness you know you, you you expect to see that you know a little bit later on in the draft but again like getting that amount of rawness and already though you know, throwing ninety seven and spinning a curveball that's that's great I, so I think I would lean to him as a pitcher on that one. We're just Shoyatani part two. Let's go. Oh yeah, sure. Why? I mean, hey. I, I see no reason to not necessarily try to develop him both ways. I mean, heck, if you want to give his arm a rest and, you know, send him out to the GCL as a hitter and then let him start pitching in instructs. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm, I'm just going to throw a name out there. Looking, I'm looking at Steven's article right now, the top 50 guys and just seeing. I think obviously it would make a lot of sense to go with the high school route with this, that overslot pick. I love Bubba Chandler talking about him there, but – what about a name that was pretty high, I feel like, uh, months ago, but then oh, the injury okay. happens? Uh, yes, yes. Out of LSU, is that, is that something that could be a possibility, or is that just – Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to go Gunnar Hoagland there for a yeah, second. That, um, that too. Both of them. Um, both yeah, of them. I, I think Hoagland's gone just because he's got – I mean, again, he's got higher stuff. Jaden Hill definitely is another guy who should be in the discussion depending on like, you know, they get to see the medicals and all that. And they should take a long time looking at those medicals if they want to go that route. But honestly, Jaden Hill had better pure stuff than Gunnar Hoagland. Um, And again, was looking at the number seven guy in the draft in you know, a 70 slider fastball, you know, maybe about a 60 grade sort of thing, just a shorter track record and not as much command of his pitches. But again, he was still really, he was still learning to pitch to a certain extent. So he's absolutely a guy that if he's there and if you're comfortable with the medicals, you could absolutely, again, get a top with either Hoagland or Hill, get a top 10 value guy. And, you know, if they're able to come back next year in say, you know, April, something like that, establish themselves, you know, show that they still haven't lost their stuff. They could again be top 10 guys. And so getting that type of value at 41 is absolutely something that the Orioles should at least look at. If you're not comfortable with the medical and the risk that's there, no, I mean, I perfectly understand that, but the question needs to be at least asked. We kind of know what the rehab process for Tommy John looks like and what the timeline is, but when you have a medical situation like that, what do you think teams are going to be looking at specifically, especially only a few months out from the surgery? 
I mean, you can at least see what, you know, how things are progressing. Like there, there have been so many Tommy John surgeries over the last dozen years, give or take, that you know what the rehab looks like. And so you know if the rehab is going behind schedule, if it's somehow ahead of schedule, you're able to at least see that. And again, so many pitchers have come back from Tommy John and still recovered their stuff, or at least recovered it to a point that teams are comfortable, that it should be there should be no major worries about, you know, assuming that you don't see something worrisome on the medical, there should be no worries that are, are they going to get their stuff back? You know, again, there've been enough surgeries that we can be fairly confident in these um, processes, you know, 95% of the time, at least. Yeah. Hoagland is a dream scenario for me. That's who I would love to get with our next pick. I just don't see him making it there. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's too polished, I feel like. And this day and age, I'd rather have the guy with a little bit more polished command than and you can always add velocity, it seems like these days, rather than vice versa. So Well, your polished command guy just went. Michael McGreevy uh just uh got picked and he was um he, he was the uh he gets comp to Shane Bieber a ton. Oh geez, the Cardinals took him. Of course the Cardinals took him. That seems like a very Cardinals pick. Yeah, um as I say he gets comp to uh, Shane Bieber all the time, just I think mostly because they went to the same school and all. But you know, same sort of thing of average to slightly above average stuff and elite, elite command. And you know, you hope you pick up a few miles per hour. And so um he would have been another one that I wouldn't have minded falling a little bit further and trying to float down there. But um, I do agree. I think Hoagland's going to be gone soon. Uh, people have talked about him to the Yankees a bunch, which uh, that wouldn't be the most pleasant to see, I don't think. Yeah, that would not. I mean, especially on a night with the Red Sox and with Marcelo Mera. I think there were some Orioles fans breathing a sigh of relief at the top two picks. That it's Henry Davis to Pittsburgh, Jack Leiter to the Rangers at number two. Okay, those are the two guys that were linked to the Red Sox. Uh, their board is completely out of whack now. And then they end up with Marcelo Mayer. Yeah, oh, geez. Yeah, I would have loved to see what would have happened if Mayer went to the Tigers at three, because that would have been very interesting. Eh, maybe a Lawler pick there. I mean, either way, they're going to get one of the top two guys at number four. I mean, like, you take that every day of the week. That's a good point. <laughs> and it looked like the Orioles were going to get Cowser regardless, because I don't think anyone ahead of us was going to take him. No, I think that was pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, so. Um... I'm going to pull up another report here on Kowser, which is over at MLB Pipeline. They had him as the number 10 pick in the draft. Um, one of the best bats in the college class, Kowser has a pure left-handed stroke and repeatedly finds the barrel. His quick hands allow him to pepper line drives all over the field as he executes a very controlled approach. Though he presently doesn't have a lot of loft to his swing, leaving some questions about his power potential, he has the hitting ability and strength to provide 20 more homers annually and answered some questions about his power by going deep in five straight games in April and topping the Southland Conference with 16 homers this spring. Normally with college guys, we don't talk about projection a lot, but I thought Stephen brought up a good point with Calder's size. There's a little bit of room to grow there. And I'm going to throw this out there as well just for the four of us to discuss. We know the ballpark that Calder is going to be playing in. Short uh, ports out to right field. Does that play into him maybe being a guy that, while not you know a threat to run for the American League home run crown every year, uh, could give you 25 homers in a good season with a good batting average, good on-base percentage, and a good arm in the outfield, which a lot of our listeners have brought up Nick Markakis' name tonight. Um, one early on, I'm sorry I don't remember the name, but said early on that if Calder is the next Nick Markakis, no one will be complaining about this pick years from now. 
Yeah, especially as a huge Nick Marcakis fan myself, that I would love to see that. Seems like he's got a little bit more speed and agility there, but yeah, it is a decent comp, and I'd love to see it. What does Mountcastle grade out as, like a 25-30 homer guy? If he could do that from the left side of the plate and obviously take a few more walks than Ryan Mountcastle. That's definitely <laughs> That is a nice little one, too, there with Adley Rutschman batting them in behind him. I mean, dream on. Yeah, no. Absolutely. And part of the key there, I think, and Zach, you said this, was he has a line drive geared swing. So, I mean, one thing I remember being kind of talked about, and I'll, you know, I'll mention this given that I'm an hour south of here. Um, scouts sometimes talked about like the UVA swing, the line drive swing that Adam Hazley, uh, Jake McCarthy, those type of guys had. And that with a little bit of work in a player development sort of situation, you can add loft to the swing and, you know, suddenly that uh, power grade absolutely can go up a little bit. So you can find power in that sort of way, especially if you're starting from a line drive swing. And it's, you know, you don't want to say easy. It is definitely more possible to add a little loft to the swing to uh, up your power grades a little bit than it is to uh, remove the loft and try to up your hit tool. Absolutely. Definitely easier to add power than to add just that natural hit ability. But it seems like he's a great fit kind of like a Jordan Westberg type of guy where it's all about doing damage, right? They're teaching these hitters to just do damage, not necessarily trying to elevate the ball, just hit the ball hard and get some extra base hits up in there. So I feel like he fits in this program pretty well. Yeah, if there's potential for that power, you heard that a lot with, you mentioned Jordan Westberg, uh, power potential, but we never really saw it in college. And look at what he's done this year already in Delmarva and Aberdeen. Uh, he got a home run the other day. I think he has six home runs on the season between the two levels, but a lot of doubles, and he's sending the ball the opposite way. A lot of those doubles are off the wall. I mean, so he's definitely mm-hmm. showing the power this year uh, at the lower levels. So if you give me a left-handed hitter that can potentially hit 25 home runs, I like it. And there was the other question that you had brought up there, and I, again, can't remember, bad with names here tonight, who asked that about, you know, or I think he made a comment about Hudson Haskin being the only outfielder projected to be a center fielder. Uh, future right now that's why he liked the Colton Kowser pick I think that's kind of accurate you really don't have anyone just perusing like the top 30 list Cal Stowers has played some center field for Bowie this year but again I think he's more of a a corner outfield type guy there really isn't anyone at at the upper levels right now that is like a really good defensive center fielder who you could envision being like a a major league contributor right now so I think that helps uh, the value of this pick here as well yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I think we had some questions about Ryan McKenna coming into this year. And while I like overall what we've seen from McKenna when you factor in what he's done at AAA and the majors, I don't know that I see an everyday player there. Um, Haskin is having a nice year at Delmarva, but we know he's years away. So Kowser, um is definitely an interesting fit in the system. And, Nick, did something just happen here on the draft? Yeah, I say Gunnar Hoagland went to the Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Good pick for them. I mean, I, I suppose take solace. So yeah, it's in division, but at least it's not the Yankees or Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's going to be up to the Blue Jays to get Hoagland back to health. And if they do, they've got a potential top. They have a top 10 talent in their farm system. Oh, uh, yeah. And one who could be back on the mound fairly early in the minor league season next year. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say, I mean, for me, the, my model loved it. And again, I know my model doesn't see injuries and all that, but even with his being knocked back and all that, he was still the 11th best score overall, like 19. He was ahead of Kowser in terms of score actually. Um, but you know, there is obviously the risk there, but had he not been injured, 
he would have, I honestly think you know, he would have been a top 10 guy by, you know, most prospect rankings. He would have probably had a score higher than Kumar Rocker from my model. I think he would have had a score near 30, which would have been the third, uh, fourth best player overall, um, just behind, uh, just behind Lawler. The, as we, I think it's going to be interesting as the night goes on, obviously we won't be podcasting in two or three hours when this is first round is over, but we'll definitely have a better idea of what the Orioles will be able to do early tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. And don't forget that we will be back on the air tomorrow with Steven to recap day two of the MLB draft. And that's really when we're going to get into some of the bigger questions uh, that are there right now. And be able to answer them and be able to say this is what the Orioles did because they went on their slot with Colton Cowser. These are the players that they picked up. And one of the points, and I know we've mentioned it a lot tonight, but to kind of close out the discussion on Cowser that I want to bring up is that, you know, the under slot pick for better or worse, there's no instant gratification to it. You're not going to come away from that number five pick thinking, okay, this is what's going to happen because there are still a lot of questions left out there. And when you get past that top 10, you're looking probably at some high-risk guys, guys who are going to fall because of signability, but a lot of talent. Um, I will go back to 2020, and I will still defend that draft, largely because, number one, I don't think it's fair to Heston Kerstad to start looking at that with you know through the lens of whether or not it's a bust. And secondly, I like what I see from Kobe Mayo. I love the reports I'm reading on Carter Baumler. Uh, Anthony Servideo, who did sign for slightly above slot, uh, looked good at Delmarva this year before he got hurt. But the problem is that I say that was full knowledge that it's going to take years for that to pay off. So there's a lot of questions about the under slot that we can't answer tonight, and we probably can't answer for years. But I think it's a strategy worth looking at for the Orioles, especially because the player they picked tonight has a very high probability of being a quality major leaguer. Yeah, and honestly, I agree curse that there's no reason to count him out i see people saying he's never going to play a game guys chill out i mean <laughs> he's going through a serious health condition right now there's no look there's no guarantee that he could recover fully but what why count him out why put that negativity into the world and uh he could easily come into next year get off to a great start and kind of catch up to where we thought he would be but i still like every other pick from that draft you got jordan westberg anthony servideo Hudson Haskins, Carter Baumler, and Kobe Mayo. I mean, that's pretty solid when all you have is six picks. And um, I had another point I was going to say, <laughs> but I forgot it. Yeah, I think I, I was kind of close on, you know, again, we can't really judge this pick in full until a little bit later on. We see the rest of the draft and everything. But, I mean, when we had Matt Blood on, he mentioned a couple of times, and we've mentioned plenty of times on our show that, you know, the, the floor of this system is being raised. Uh, it's been raised pretty quickly. And I think just Orioles fans, I get it. You're going into the all-star break the way the Orioles have and the way this season has played out. Orioles fans we see on social media are, you know, there's a civil war breaking out every few weeks. I mean, it's, it's getting ugly. And I, I, I do get it. Like, I understand. I don't watch the major league product. And it makes me kind of sad. Like, I want to go to Camden Yards. It's a three-and-a-half-hour drive for me, which I don't mind making two, three times a week if I wanted to. Uh, but I have no urge to go to Cayman Yards and, until, like, the Braves come, but Acuna getting hurt, I mean, I'm not going to make that trip either. Um, so, you know, I, I get that, but the floor continues to be raised, and when you look at this system, we mentioned plenty of times, look at the guys. I mean, Randolph Gassaway was one of the top 15 prospects in this system, like, three years ago, and to see now who we're talking about, you know, Joey Ortiz before the injury, wasn't a top 30 prospect for the season started. And you saw how he played in Bowie before the injury. Like 
it's getting raised. Kowser's adds to that mix, and we'll see how it plays out in the future. But for right now, like personally, he's at a Baltimore Oriole now, and I'm going to cheer extremely hard for him. Two quick uh, thoughts and questions from our listeners before we move on to our next topic. Um, O's underscore Ravens uh, underscore 82 brought up an interesting point that with the talent from this draft and the year that Gunnar Henderson is having, it seems like the Orioles have a guaranteed top five farm system, which I think is definitely the case, especially because a lot of the guys that probably rank within their top six or seven players right now aren't going to graduate before the 2022 season. So going into 2022, look for those rankings to be pretty high. And then uh, Nick uh, Stengel asked, how much money can we realistically expect the Orioles to save with the Cowser pick? Uh, I tend to think about, I think he'll sign for about number nine slot. Like, you know, about, so that would be about a million to 1.2 million. I, I would guess 1.2 million if I had to take a bet. All right. So we'll move on now to kind of look at the draft night as a whole. Um, it started with chaos, and that was Henry Davis going number one to the Pirates. Most mock drafts, pretty much every mock draft for the last few weeks, had Marcelo Mayer going in that spot. In the end, the Pirates take Henry Davis to catch out of Louisville. And I wanted to throw this thought out there. The Pirates are probably going to go under slot with Davis, be able to spread the money around a little bit, just like the Orioles are planning to do. You had kind of mixed reports on Davis coming into this draft. I know Keith Law was very high on him. There were some reports out there, though, that questioned whether or not the bat was going to play to another position if you did move him, which made him seem like not a great pick for the Orioles. But I'll throw this out there for the Pirates, who are going to develop him as a catcher. Was this the safest and the best pick? Because Davis seems like he's low risk, but you don't have the questions about the bat that the Orioles would have had to address. Yeah, I think this is the safest. I think this is the absolute safest route they could have gone because they have the college performance. They have the trackman info. Um, they can go under slot and they need, just like the Orioles, they needed to raise the floor. And that's what they're doing. And they're doing that by getting multiple talents that can possibly be be in Pittsburgh in, well, in Davis's case, I think in a couple of years. And I, I mean, I had Davis pretty low. I probably had the Davis the lowest of anyone, but it was had nothing to do with talent. It had absolutely nothing to do with talent. I think his back can play, but I tend to think that just with some of the changes that are going to come to baseball in the future, I think teams are going to be able to throw uh, more bat-focused catchers back there, and I think there's going to be less value for the catcher position, especially and so especially in the case when you're trying to add value, the draft is all about adding value, and when you have the best catching prospect that baseball has seen in a long time, that's probably not, and you would have to then move him off catcher. That might not be the best place for the Orioles, at least for example, to put value for the pirates. It's a fine place to put value. But again, if you're going for a safer pick with an opportunity to raise the floor in other places as well, I don't think you could have done a better job than to take Davis. I have a question for you guys. What was your favorite pick of the draft so far and your least favorite pick of the draft so far? My favorite pick, and I think I think I saw Steven tweet this out, but uh, the Angels go with Sam Bachman. I love Sam Bachman. And I was writing for a Mac blog for a little while <laughs> uh, earlier this year. Um, I have some weird connections to Mac schools. Uh, and so I really loved uh, Bachman a lot. And uh, I'm just hoping that the Orioles can swing more trades with the Angels and, and get Bachman uh, in our system, even if he is a, like an extreme relief risk, 
that profile, uh, I'm fine with that. I want him in that 100 mile an hour uh, fastball in our system. Uh, let's see. I think you can't help, but for, for the Marlins, I, I really love Khalil Watson. And to get him where the Marlins got him, even if you're going to have to pay up for him and you're going to have to pay up for him, uh, assuming they're able to actually sign him, I can't help but like that. That They would have to be thrilled about what they were able to get that far down the uh, draft board um, all the way at uh, all the way at 16. There was no way he was going to get there by anyone's imagination, I don't think. I had to look at it as far as my least favorite pick. If I had to answer this on a motion, it's Marcelo Mayer um, going to the Red Sox, but I'm not going to answer it on a motion entirely. I don't know what the Royals are going for. It's Frank Bazzicato. Um, they're at number eight, maybe, or number seven, I'm sorry. Maybe they value him much higher than everybody else does. Maybe they're trying to go under slot. Maybe it's, it's and it's probably both. But I just don't quite know what they're going for there. And I thought a few picks later, the Washington Nationals did well to get Brady House. Uh, that was actually where I was expecting House to go was Kansas City. I think that that's a really good value at number 11. And if we want to look further up the draft, if Arizona can sign him, they did well with Jordan Lawler at six. Um, it seems like the rumor mill is that, you know, he might go to Vanderbilt because he's going to be a draft eligible sophomore in two years and could be the favorite to be the number one pick. But if they're able to pay up to sign him, that's probably a good move for Arizona. I think he signs, but Brady House to Washington is definitely my favorite pick of the draft. I just feel like I fully expected Washington to go with the high-velocity pitcher there like they always do, whether it was college or high school, whether they were injured or not. Gunnar Hoagland would have been a good choice for them. But uh, I was happy to see they went with Brady House. I think that could do their farm system pretty good. And least favorite? Of course, it's Colorado Rockies. Nothing against Benny Montgomery. I just feel like if you're going to go a high school guy right there, why would you skip on Cleo Watson or Brady House? But that's my thoughts. So aside from Davis, what's pick surprise you the most? I think for me, it's going to be just the falling of Kamar Rocker. I think past the Angels, who we know they make terrible decisions with pitchers anyway, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, again, not saying Sam Bachman's bad at all. I love him. I just praise him. But uh, to let Kamar Rocker go, I think, was kind of shocking. And Colorado. Colorado always needs really good pitching, and they pass on Kamar Rocker. I think that's the most surprising. And I just hope the Mets have cleaned up their entire process and he succeeds in New York because uh, I, as much as I did not like that pick, if he was going to be the pick for the Orioles and was praying it was not going to be Kamar Rocker, I actually really love watching this kid pitch. Uh, and so I, 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 that was the most surprising for me is watching him fall as much as he did. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised Rocker got past Kansas City. I mean, they they have a history of taking college pitching, and that would have seemed to, you know, having him fall right into their lap seemed would seem to have been a natural pick, especially between, you know, him and Brady House. That I would I was expecting that's where that was gonna land. Yeah. I mean, Frank Mazzucato, I fully expected him to go in the first round, maybe mid to late, but to go at seven with all the talent that was available right there, that was definitely the biggest shock for me. Yeah, I mean, there was a few for me. Uh, Will Bedner going to the Giants was a little bit of a surprise. I thought that might be a later first-round pick, but then again, it's the Giants. I think that if there's somebody who can find a way to find success with a pitcher, I'd put them at the top of the list. So it probably is a really good pick for them. And, you know, going back to my last uh, discussion with Brady House, I was really surprised that he fell past Kansas City because it seemed like most mock drafts had him, if he dropped, got past the Orioles, going to the Royals at number seven. So that surprised me. And Khalil Watson falling as far as he did really surprised me. Um, 
But, you know, best, best of luck to the Marlins there because if they're able to sign him, they've got a really good player on their hands. Yeah, and the Cubs just took Jordan Wicks at 21. I like that pick a lot too. Yeah, that's good value there. Yeah. yeah that's my new least favorite pick just because I really like him. And <laughs> Got to love lefties with, a good ch- lefties with a good change up. That's one of my weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And the Cubs are selling. They're not going to – who knows what the Cubs are doing, actually. I don't know. It seems like they're selling now. So I know they're, like, they're turning into the Rockies over there. Theo got out at the right time. Seems like it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're not quite to the end of the first round here. We have about eight picks left or about seven picks left. So we don't have all the answers for night one as we sign off here. But before we do, I'll give uh, Nick, Bob, and Steven a chance to kind of throw out some final thoughts, starting with Bob. Yeah, I'm really excited to come back here tomorrow night and really just sink our teeth into this, pretty much this draft as a whole. First, top 10 picks are most important, but, you know, just really see what the Orioles did with this money, who we got, and really break it all down. So very excited for tomorrow. I'm happy with tonight. I love the draft. I love this. We just add an influx of talent in a couple days. What's not to like? And I'm excited to do our top 30 next week, too. Yeah, same. I took, I'm working half days the next two days, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so I could completely focus on this draft. Um, I love it as well. I love researching these guys after the Orioles make the pick. Uh, if anyone from the Orioles is listening tomorrow morning, uh, if you want to draft a Nick Stewart or Jordan, Sh- or, uh, yeah, uh, Showalter from James Madison University, you can go ahead and do that as well. Bring them into Birdland. Uh, but Colton Kowser, great pick. Love it. He's an Oriole. Just, just cheer for him. Forget about this underslot, overslot. It's whatever. Just enjoy Colton Kowser. He's our guy. He's part of Birdland. Nothing against him at all. Yeah, and again, getting a great talent. And again, just wait to see what happens. If you're if you're going to just wait to see what we get at forty one. Just pump the brakes just a second. Yeah, I'm really excited about how this how this has started. This was if they were going to go under slot, Kowser was the guy I've wanted for the last probably two months at this point, give or take, and. I have grades that I have to turn in for a summer class tomorrow, but I'm getting them done as soon as possible so I can start speculating on everything that could possibly happen between now and then. I personally think the Orioles should have picked Jemai Jones with five overall. I mean, he deserves to be playing second base for the Orioles. (laughs) I really would have started a a civil war on Orioles Twitter. So we'll uh, get to one last listener question here from Simkin Tribute uh, over at YouTube. We always appreciate his questions. Tweaking my previous question, would you be disappointed if there is not a pitcher in the next three Baltimore picks, or do you trust the Elias touch on potential over slot bats in the next three? Uh, I wouldn't be disappointed. I I, I really wouldn't because I think there is, again, there's college pitching seems to be pretty deep. There's a lot of value. There are always college performers and I'm always willing to bet on performers who have especially good command average stuff and a little room to grow and I think there are guys like that later on um I I would like to see a pitcher you know give it if I had my brothers I would like to see a pitcher in those next three picks but if one doesn't come I think there's I think there's room for uh you know sleepers later on in that and and not not sleepers better than sleepers there's room for good pitcher value later on yeah, I completely agree. I'm, uh, we might be the only people in Birdland that uh, trust this organization to develop pitching right now, but I do. Ever since Elias came on, I really like what they're doing. So I think get those bats in there and then take the pitchers later and develop them. They seem to have a lot of success, especially Delmarva to Bowie right now, just building these guys up. So 
don't need a pitcher, but I'll be happy either way. Same. Let's. I'm. I'm just going to put my faith into this. They have their model. They have their scouts. There's the experts. I'll trust them. But if they want to take like Ryan Cusick or, or even Jaden Hill, Gavin Williams. <laughs> Gavin Williams. That's that's a good one as well. Gavin Williams. If you want to take one of those guys, I'm bring them in. I love it. Well, thank you for joining Bob, Nick, Stephen, and I tonight. We will be back with recap of day two of the MLB draft on Monday, where we'll be able to get into who the Orioles take with those next few picks. Uh, for now, though, this has been a really fun discussion. Thank you for joining us. For Bob, Nick, and Stephen Loftus, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.